Welcome to episode 180. I'm Stuart McCullough, the CEO of VHAA. And joining, uh, joining me today is a very special guest, the uh, Public Sector Gender Equality Commissioner, Dr. Nikki Vincent. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you very much, Stuart. Uh, I'm sure that everyone is, uh, who is watching is aware uh, that the role of the Public Sector Gender Equality Commissioner has been established. But just in case there is somebody watching who is not familiar with the, with the role of the Commissioner, what are your key functions? Okay, so number one function is to promote and advance the objects of the Act throughout the public sector. And the public sector, in this case, refers to all defined entities, which is 300 plus organisations, um, all of the public service uh, and ever, uh, other defined entities, including all universities and uh, all of local government. Um, and my, my another function is to support them to comply with the Act. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Lots of roadshows, lots of information, um, some workshops and so forth to help them and producing a lot of guidelines and materials, guidance materials, um, and to provide advice to them about the operation of the Act. Um, and to establish and undertake information and education programs for defined entities in order to encourage them to move to best, best practice as well as to just get um, just make compliance. Um, importantly, to undertake a research into any matter related to the Act and the objectives of the Act, and then uh, to report to the Minister on anything arising from the performance of my functions and then any other function conferred on me under this Act or any other Act. Well, I heard you say uh, amongst that uh, in terms of the development of guidance material, and that sounds like a good opportunity to bring up onto screen uh, the, the website address. So just up on screen now, there is uh, a website because there's more information and resources for everything that we're discussing today at www.genderequalitycommission.vic.gov.au. I did want to start with the Act itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and Victoria now has the Gender Equality Act 2020, which states that it applies to defined entities. And you gave a couple of examples uh, of who those defined entities are. Uh, but that list of defined entities, I understand, includes uh, public health services. Yes, it does. Yes, indeed. So um, public, self, uh, public health services are all included under the Act and will be required to comply with the Act um, and its main, um, its main requirements. And given that we're talking about the Act, I guess that takes us to the, to the, to the biggest question, which is why is this happening? Uh, and in particular, I've got up on screen at the moment, section one uh, of the Act, which outlines its purpose, which has okay. a couple of distinct components, including requiring positive action towards achieving gender, uh, workplace gender equality and requiring the promotion of gender equality in, in policies, programs and services. Yes. What really strikes me in terms of those, uh, that, that purpose is the positive action. Mm. Uh, particularly, it doesn't simply require compliance, it actually requires entities to, to do something active. Yes, that's right. So it requires um, 
organisations to actually consider and take positive action um, towards getting to achieving workplace gender equality. Um, and they must, uh, in, in, they report to me every, every couple of years. So firstly, um, with gender equality action plans in October of this year, and then two years later with progress reports, which we can talk more about later. Um, but each time they report to me, they report their progress to me or their subsequent gender equality action plan, they must, uh, under the Act, have made reasonable and material progress in terms of um, living up to the actions and strategies that they have in their own action plans, but also um, in, in, in undertaking um, gender impact assessments on all of their policies and programs and services. So promoting uh, gender equality by actually understanding how their po programs, policies and services will impact um, people of different genders. It's really interesting um, to hear that in the sense that this is not a sporadic occasional obligation. This is a continuous process. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the way yeah. that you describe that. I want to bring up on, on screen also the objects of the Act that are contained at Section 4, and they're listed up there now and, and, and includes promoting, encouraging, facilitating the achievement of gender equality. The, the stuff about those positive actions, identifying barriers, emphasis on, on change and progress and inclusiveness. Yeah. But the one thing I wanted to, uh, to uh, get a little bit of clarity on was this concept of uh, inequality being compounded. Mm. In the materials on the website, there's quite a bit of discussion around intersectional uh, gender equality, and not everyone may be familiar with that term. What does it mean? Yeah, so intersectionality is the concept of compounded disadvantage or discrimination. Um, so it, it's a way of thinking about how um, gender might be gender inequality might be compounded by other overlapping forms of discrimination or disadvantage based on perhaps other social characteristics such as perhaps being Aboriginal, um, perhaps being of an older or younger age or whatever age, um, having a disability. Um, your ethnicity, your gender identity, your race, your religion, or your sexual orientation. And we know that all of those um, things that I've just listed there can create discrimination or disadvantage for people. Um, and then when you put gender on top of that, or when you put those on top of gender, whichever way you want to do it, um, they are, that creates a, 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 you know, increased potential for disadvantage or discrimination. And so the Act is really unique in that it, rec it, re it requires organisations to consider intersectionality, um, recognising that challenges to achieve gender equality are complex and multifaceted rather than just binary. Um, and that's, it's the first um, uh, incorporation of intersectionality into Australian equality law. So it's quite innovative. It did sort of strike me that sort of multifactorial uh, approach to that concept, but it does recur um, throughout all the activities uh, uh, under the Act. Um, health services are always keen to know what they have to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are three, it seems, key activities for health services under the Act, uh, namely gender impact assessments, workplace gender audits, gender equity action plans. And I'd like to talk uh, about those activities in what I hope is chronological order, okay. uh, starting with uh, gender impact uh, assessments. Uh, probably the most practical question in the first instance, uh, from what date should health services begin uh, undertaking gender impact assessments? 
Well, the date is the 31st of March this year. So coming up very, very soon. And from that point and forever going forward, every organisation covered by the Act must undertake gender impact assessments. And that will be on all new policies, programs and services that have a direct and significant impact on the public. They must also undertake gender impact assessments for all policies, programs and services that come up for review after the Act starts, after the Act comes into effect on the 31st of March. So for the health sector, this could include things like mental health services, new mental health services or, um, or reviewed health, health mental health services, Aboriginal health programs and community health promotion campaigns. Um, so that's the, the one, and that's actually a really important way that this act is not just about uh, individual workplaces, it also, and, and in looking internally into individual workplaces, it's also looking out at the community and how the work of each of these organisations impacts the community in potentially a gendered way. And we know, uh, although some things um, when, you, when you're developing a, a, a policy program and service that's kind of for the general community, um, how, how we understand the impact of that um, has, is often with men as the standard. And that's certainly been the case in a lot of, uh, a lot of fields across time, a lot of throughout history, a lot of medicines being tested on men's bodies because, you know, they were considered to have more stable, less you know, um, hormonally kind of impacted bodies that would um, that, that drugs could be tested on and so forth. And that's in medicine, that's had a big impact on, uh, you know, drugs for women, designed for women's bodies, which of course need to be designed around, you know, hormones and so forth, because that is their reality. It's also had a big impact in infrastructure and the design of, of big builds and roads and traffic and all of those sorts of things. So it can be small or it can be major policies, programs and services, but all of them that have uh, an impact on the public will need to have a gender impact assessment undertaken from now on. A couple of key things that jump out for me there, one of which is that this is a, this is a must. It's a requirement under the Act that it must occur and, and you are making a distinction that it's about new services coming into effect and review of existing services as yeah. as really the time when that uh, that kind of uh, impact assessment should be should be undertaken. I'm mindful in terms of health services, they're all about delivery of services and programs. So um, it, it sounds as though health services should expect and understand that this will have a broad application for them. Yes, absolutely. And really needs consideration right across um, all functions of the organisation. This is there is no way that gender impact assessment should be concentrated in the diversity and inclusion unit, for example. Um, anyone that's designing a program, policy, or service will need to understand uh, how to undertake gender impact assessments and the fact that, in fact, first first cab off the rank that they actually needed in the first place. That it is a requirement under the law that they undertake a gender impact assessment. Um, um, before implementation. I'm just going to bring up the uh, the address again for the website because uh, not only is there information about uh, the, the gender impact assessments, there are some tools that have been prepared for designated entities. One of the things I did want to ask about the toolkit that's there, whilst it's been created for designated entities, do you think it's something that organisations who aren't 
designated entities might be able to utilise as well if they're interested in in looking at their work through that that gender lens. Absolutely. Um, yes, indeed. In fact, lots of organisations that aren't covered under the Gender Equality Act have said, you know, can we use them? And of course, they are freely available to anyone, any organisation to use for any purpose. And you could use it, you could use the, the, um, the guidance materials to con conduct a, another sort of impact on another kind of um, social kind of issue as well. So, um, I think they are very, very useful and we're getting a lot of really good feedback um, about how it's working. And obviously they're, um, they're working documents. We will get feedback as people start to use them and adapt them and build our case study, um, you know, a lot more case studies in so that we, as we get them and we see them, we can put those um, on the website as well. So this will build up over time. But we've already got a lot of organisations testing themselves out um, in, in undertaking these. But one of the things that I did wonder, there are those very useful templates that have been included uh, on the website and just in terms of uh, a useful practice at this point, because there will be some organisations will have frameworks that can consider impact. Can they uh, incorporate those templates into their existing frameworks or is it best to keep it separate uh, for the time being? Um, we, I don't have a view on that actually. Okay. I think um, if they've got existing existing templates and they want to incorporate those, the ones on our website, um, as far as I'm concerned, as long as they do the work that is required under the Act, um, if they want to do it as part of a bigger kind of um, assessment, impact assessment, that's fine with me. There is reference in the toolkit to a range of steps and, and step one yeah. uh, talks about defining issues and challenging assumptions. Uh, what's meant by challenging assumptions? Well, I think um, I, I would refer anyone who's interested to an absolutely fantastic book and I, her Caroline Criado Perez, I think is the name of the author and it's called um, it's called uh, Invisible Women. And her book, which is out, I think last year, um, possibly the year before, uh, is jam packed full of policies, programs and services across you know, the last hundred years or so that have just been designed without gender, without a gender lens and the impact that that's had. And there are things that you would, things in our everyday lives uh, that you just wouldn't even think about. For example, um, the, the fact that um, cars, crash testing uh, cars, um, they use um, males' bodies for, as the crash test dummies. And when uh, when they wanted to put women in there, they just used smaller men, which of course women are designed quite differently to men. And so women have died as a result of um, safety uh, in cars, not being designed around women's bodies um, and pregnant women as well. You know, they're very different to um to men. So it's it's challenging the assumption that there is no gender impact and they couldn't what how would things be done differently or used differently by women. And there's an example in there that um, our Minister for Women, um, Gabrielle Williams, loves, which is the snowplow example where uh, and I forget, I think it was Sweden, they um, used the snowplow to clear the roads um, as soon as the snow hit. 
um, but but people because it, it reduced the um, incidence of car crashes. Um, but what they actually found was that it, it increased the number of women that were being hospitalised, and and it never occurred to them to do a gender impact assessment. But when they did, they found that it was the footpaths and the side streets and those sorts of things that women were using and trying to push, you know, baby prams and buggies along and um, you know doing a lot of running around and slipping over on those. And so uh, they started to clear the streets in first, as a first priority and they found that it actually um, decreased the number of, of, um, of uh, hospital visits by women and didn't actually uh, increase the number of car crashes uh, by people on the road. So what they assumed was the, the case was that you have to clear the roads because otherwise cars will crash um, actually um, wasn't the case. There is a definite theme um, which probably goes to that issue um, throughout all the activities around consultation. And that consultation is described as including stakeholder uh, engagement and also involvement in decision making, which mm. I think will be a bit familiar for health services in terms of things like patient centred uh, care yeah. uh, as such. But it talks about uh, consulting with employees, uh, with, with unions, and uh, I think it talks about um, I think there's a reference to boards, in effect, as, as all being yeah, part governing of bodies. Assessments. Yeah. And, and what I note about those um, uh, impact assessments, it's not just a, it's more than just a, a, an assessment of impact, but actually goes to that issue of recommendations, which seems to go back to that issue of positive, um, yeah. positive action being required. Yeah, so the consultation is different for the gender impact assessments, which are for policy programs and services that look outwards to yes. the public or impact the public. Um, where we talk about consultation inside the organisation, so that's with governing bodies, employees and employee representatives such as unions, um, and as a minimum, because you might want to um, consult external stakeholders as well, is um, that consultation is the process that must take place once a gender impact audit, sorry, a gender audit has been undertaken uh, within each of the organisations. So that leads us to the second um, obligation under the Act, which um, can take place uh, after June 30. So at, at, the, at July 1, organisations need to look at conducting a gender audit in their organisation to assess the state and nature of gender equality or inequality across seven key indicators. And I can talk about them later. Um, they gather that data, looking back over the last 12 months, so they gather that data and then they analyse it and then they take it to their governing body, to their workforce and to their uh, employee representatives to discuss it. And from those consultations and those discussions, uh, they come up with, well, they look at what, what do we, what's, you know, what is the state and nature of gender inequality in this organisation and what do we need to do about it? And, and you know, and then they develop uh, from those consultations, strategies and actions to address gender inequality, and they put those into a gender equality action plan. And that action plan must be submitted to me by the 31st of October of this year, um, along with the audit data of that organisation. And at that point, um, 
once we've accepted the plan and the audit data, we will publish it on our website and the organisation also must publish it on their website and they must let their governing bodies, their employees and their employee representatives know that they've done so. So all of this is about transparency and being able to hold organisations to account for doing what they say they, they are going to do to address gender inequality in their organisations and allowing employees, employers, us, members of the public to actually see what they've promised and how they progress uh, on that over time. Because two years later, they then need to um, submit a progress, replan uh, progress report to me. So that'll be on 31st of October, 2023. We do have some definite key dates. So in the context yes. of workplace gender audits, uh, I heard you say that uh, the 30th of, of June of this year is a key date. Now, that's that's the date of the snapshot. Is, is, is yeah. that a way of describing? It's not the date by which the work needs to be completed. No, that's exactly right. So from the 1st of July, um, then organisations then need to start looking back, but there's, they but they need to they need to set their own time as in, you know in that they have to uh, they can't start the audit before June 30, but they have to submit the action plan to me by 31st of October. So my suggestion would be that they do start doing the audit as quickly as possible after June 30, so they've got enough time to then consult their workforce. Uh, their governing body and their employee representatives and then develop those strategies and then get the plan to me. Um, so the, the, the date of 30th of uh, June is not a, a strict deadline as such. It's the point at which they start to look back over the last 12 months. And in the materials, there was sort of a recommendation that people can prepare, um, prepare to sort of line up their, their data sources, which seems to me um, a, a, a good idea. What will the work, will, will that first workplace gender audit do? So that'll set um, uh, a benchmark um, to build from. So it'll give us, an, uh, us, the organisation, the public, the workplace, um, the staff, um, a, a benchmark for the state and nature of gender inequality in that organisation. And then we, we will expect the organisation to, as I say, make reasonable and measurable um, and material progress uh, at the next progress report on those particular indicators. It does strike me that that first one becomes especially critical because it becomes the, the, basis, of when, uh, the, the basis on which everything else is measured. Uh, sort of going forward. One of the other things in the materials was a suggestion about resourcing and time yeah. Yeah. and a strong uh, push to not underestimate um, the resource commitment to, to, to make that happen. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, the Act requires that sufficient um, resources are, are put to this process, um, not just this year, but from, from all, for, for all the time going forward until inequality has been addressed. So it is a requirement that sufficient resources are put to, to um, tackling gender inequality within the organisation. We do have re we do have really good guidance, as you said, uh, about all of this on our website, and we do suggest that people start thinking about this now um, because that timing is quite tight. Um, there's nothing we can do about that. It is a lot of um, people have said to me, this is very tight timing. And I've said, that's what the act says. <laughs> that's what we have to do. So there is a requirement to meet those deadlines under the act. And obviously different organisations will be 
Some of them will have already done this and be right across it and others it'll be a brand new thing. Although you said this is a, a critical um, audit, this first one, it absolutely is. But also we don't expect all organisations to have all of the things we want to collect data on necessarily in place um, already. So if you aren't, for example, um, collecting data on intersectionality, um, the, the, um, our website will have some guidance about how you might go about that in future and privacy concerns and all of those things are covered off. Um, but what we'd like to see is that that is a strategy in your gender equality action plan to start gathering that data so that the next time you come to do the audit, you will have that data. One of the things about that audit process, it seems to be something that is, it, there is the numbers component of it, uh, but then there's also an analysis component and there was a reference then to uh, the a requirement to take into account the gender equality indicators. Mm. Uh, which I'll just bring up on screen uh, at the, the moment. I was interested in the, the equal remuneration across all levels of the workforce mm -hmm. and the, um, the very helpful Excel spreadsheet, which sort of puts that in context of levels from the CEO. Do I understand that correctly? That's the yardstick? Yes, it is the yardstick. Yes, that's right. Um, and one of the other things I was sort of interested in is that um, will that get to a point of considering different occupational groups, uh, such as so nursing, doctors, allied health professionals? Because we've got a lot of variation within those groups, both in terms of the makeup of the workforce and, and how their conditions are determined. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, those are potentially structural inequalities that um, will need to be addressed. Um, they're not something the organisation is going to be able to fix overnight, but we'd certainly like organisations to have a look at that. Um, and I've, I've also got power under the Act, um, if uh, asked to help resolve um, disputes around structural inequalities um, within workplaces covered by the Act, as long as they have a clause uh, within their EBA that allows me to do so. And the CPSU is one of the bigger, you know, covers a, a vast, a vast uh, number of public sector employees, and they do have that clause, but other um, unions are looking at putting that clause into their um, new EBA. So that that capacity for me to get in there and um, and uh, help resolve structural um, inequalities within workplaces that impact a group of employees or a, a class of employees um, will grow. Yeah, that's an interesting feature of the Act that it has that uh, reference to dispute uh, dispute resolution. Uh, yeah. as such. There was one uh, indicator I just wanted to, wanted to understand a little better, which is the gender segregation within the workplace. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you've got in, um, in health organisations, you've got um, a lot of, uh, it's a you know, female dominated workplace, um, but it, uh, you have um, um, differences, all organisations have differences they might have, I mean, it's, I think the public sector itself has got about 70, 60, 5%, 70% women, but they are concentrated in lower paid roles, in, in less senior roles. Um, and, and even where uh, we've got women in leadership roles, we've still got pay inequality at the leadership level. Um, but um, what we, you know, for example, if a, if a woman works in a male-dominated industry such as construction, they usually work in, in narrowly defined and lower paid roles like the office the administration, the human resources. Um, and when a male um, 
when a whale works in a female-dominated industry, he gets to experience higher status than his female colleagues often. So men who work as nurses are often mistaken for doctors, while the reverse is true of women. And when a man works in a female-dominated industry, he's more likely to work in leadership than his female counterpart. So or that's what we're trying to get at here. We're trying to get organisations to look at the concentration of women in particular um, occupations or, or sectors um, within their areas. I think I heard you say before that the uh, the workplace gender audit is a critical component and the results needed to be included in the gender quality action plan, which does seem something of a, a segue uh, to that to that mm. third component. And you mentioned before that the, the first one is due on the 31st of October uh, this year, yes. and that needs to be submitted to you. That's correct? Yes, that's exactly right. So that needs to be submitted to me um, on, on or before that date. Yeah. And I was a little unsure just in terms of the, the publishing component. Do health services publish their own or, or do you publish it or both? Both, yep. So okay. I will publish and um, and the organisation must publish. So I can publish, but I intend to do that. Um, but the organisation must publish it on their website. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the frequency of that, that that's four yearly? It's exactly right. So a gender equality action, a gender audit, and then a gender equality action plan based on the results of that audit will happen every four years. Um, but in between that, at the two-year point, there's a progress report that's due. So yes. in there, we're looking to see that that progress uh, over those first two years, and that progress report is then due two years after the next gender equality action plan, and so forth. Uh, and uh, so, and that is also submitted to to yourself, and and that's published as well. As well, yes, absolutely. Those must be published as well. And the gender um, progress, oh, sorry, the progress report um, will not just look at the gender equality action plan and and how much reasonable and material progress an organisation has made in terms of those strategies and actions in that plan, it also needs to um, report on the gender impact assessments that the organisation has undertaken over that period, so just over two years. Um, so organisations don't need to report on their gender impact assessments to me until that first progress report is due. And just in terms of um, the, that data, a lot of data will be going into the, the Commission, which obviously is uh, specific to individual health services. Is there a plan to sort of also uh, uh, aggregate that data to say what's happening within the sector? Uh, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency had lots of really interesting information on their website about health, uh, but it wasn't didn't go down to a state by state uh, basis. Yeah. Will there be a statewide picture that that you think will emerge? Yes, absolutely. We will um, we will be able to present back um, sector by sector what's happening in 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 those sectors in our state, and then look at how that changes and transforms over time. So Terrific. I think it'll be very useful. I think it's going to be really interesting and informative um, mm. because I think that picture has been missing. Uh, there have mm. been parts of that picture uh, with different agencies, but not not a single unified picture uh, as such. Yeah. Um, one of the things about the materials in terms of the, um, there seem to be sort of four key areas of, of, of emphasis for that action plan around things such as, as case for change and strategies and measures and leadership seem to be a key focus. Yeah. Uh, that this was not something to, to sit somewhere, but, but are expected to be uh, someone would lead within the organisation at, at, well, throughout the different levels, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a critical part of this. Um, and unfortunately, I think that um, that uh, a lot of organisations that we've been talking to haven't really understood that at this stage. So they've concentrated all of these obligations into um, the, the uh, diversity and inclusion function within their organisation without recognising that it requires much more than that. This is, this is something that needs to be... Um, uh, holistically undertaken as an organisation. Uh, obviously, it, it needs leadership to make that happen. Um, and we recognise also the um, critical import importance of employee representatives and employees, in fact, which is why that consultation process is enshrined within the legislation as well. So it's empowering employees and employee representatives to hold leadership to account uh, for making, um, making progress on these indicators as well. It seemed to be quite a complete approach. It seemed to be there was there were boards, uh, there were employees, there were employee, you know, there were unions as as well. Absolutely. Which is sort of yeah. quite a complete process, and I'm sort of mindful of that idea of you know things that get measured. Um, get, get done. Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that does bring me to that to the role that the commission has in terms of support. Uh, mm. And you did talk about you know there are. There's a lot of material around in terms of that you've developed, um, which sits yeah. on your website. Are there any other activities that the Commission will be undertaking supporting um, designated entities, particularly this first time around? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing um, the the the, um, the guidance materials have been really important. So those are up and sitting on the on the home page of our website right now. So anyone can go and make a start on this. I think. Um, We've we've also done uh, we've done some pilots of those. We've done a lot of community consultation in the lead up to the act, um, and subsequent to that, we have been engaging with stakeholders under the act through regular communications. And just over the last few months, um, we've also run a series of roadshows, which have reached over a thousand people um, in defined entities across the state. Um, we've covered each sector um, with a different um, uh, roadshow, uh, and we surveyed uh, our stakeholders in each of the sectors beforehand. So we were able to use the data of uh, from the things that they said they were concerned about, you know, whether they were concerned about a particular aspects of their obligations or whatever. Um, we were then able to tailor the roadshows to um, to help them. Uh, in that regard. The other, and we've just completed those now. I can't remember how many we did, but it was a lot. Um, they usually went for an hour and we'd have a Q&A and so forth. They were really well attended, as I said. We are also... Um, Providers. We've put together um, this panel uh, of organisations that are really well experienced in, um, in assisting organisations to deliver on all of their obligations under the Act. Um, so we've got, uh, we've asked our panel of providers to develop up a series of sector, sector by sector, sector based workshops. Um, to assist defined entities to um, to come up to speed with what they need to do. So there is there are workshops on um, gender impact assessments, on undertaking gender audits, and also on developing uh, the strategies and measures in the gender equality action plans. Um, we also have some of the panel members who are um, who have a lot of experience in data and data management and IT and those sorts of things, and so. Organisations 
defined entities under the Act can, can um, go to them uh, and for a fee, obviously, uh, get their assistance if they, if they need it. But the workshops that we're rolling out are free for all defined entities. So um, there are, there's plenty of opportunity there to bring people who are going to have, you know, be delivering some of this stuff within their organisations up to, up to speed on how um, and what their obligations are and how to go about meeting them. I did see that people could sign up for a newsletter uh, through your website, which would probably keep them up to date with those workshops. Yes. And it also included a full list of those recommended providers. And what struck me, uh, you just mentioned it there, is that those recommended providers have been broken up into areas of expertise yeah. uh, as such. So it's, it's, it's quite specific in terms of IT or the uh, action plans or whatever the case may be. Yes, they have. I mean, they may have skills in other areas as well, but those are the ones that we've um, they we they've been through that vetting process with us, and that's what that's what we've said. Well, this is you've got all the qualifications here to deliver on this component. Um, so it is a it's a really great panel actually, and I'd encourage people to um, go and have a look at it. Well, that does seem like an opportunity to bring up for a, a final time uh, the very useful uh, website address with all those materials: www.genderequalitycommission.vic.gov.au. Nikki, is there any final message uh, that you would like to give our our health service members? Yes, indeed. Look, we understand that these are um, often big changes um, for organisations. They are going to mean big changes for our, our organisations and our community, and I'm very excited about that. But I understand um, the impact of, of the requirements under this Act on organisations, and I want to reiterate that my team are here to help as, as much as we can. We've got an inquiry um, inquiry email on our website address, inquiries at genderequalitycommission.gov.au, um, and you can send your inquiries through. We are building um, the, um, the guidance materials and other materials on our website as we speak. So keep going back there, please, and having a look at what we're building into that. So particular guidance around even the little sort of micro levels of the act. Um, and uh, so it's a movable, a, a moving feast and please go and keep regularly checking back in. But also if you're having particular problems or you've got particular questions, you can contact us and we'll do everything that we can to help you meet your obligations. Dr. Nikki Vincent, so much, uh, thank you so much for making time to speak to us today. Much My appreciate. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.